Well, welcome again, everybody. This is George Miley. We're continuing to work through this series of studies that we have been participating in together under the overall theme or topic of maturing toward wholeness in the inner life, which is, of course, another way to describe the outcome of discipleship. In discipleship, we come to the point of saying, Lord Jesus, you are the master teacher. So I'm going to intend to orient my life around you as my master teacher and everything else that comes at me that wants me to think in this way or that way. I'm going to submit that to, Lord, what you taught. So in this session, we come to the 13th subject in this study, or the 13th chapter, because we have the intention that all of this will become a book. Chapter 13, With All Your Heart. So we're beginning to deal with the subject of the components of the human person. Now, I don't know if that idea seems a bit strange, the components of the human person. Where do we get such an idea? I think we get that idea from passages like Mark 12, 29 to 31. Remember, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded by saying, the greatest commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God. Here it comes. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he went on to say, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So right there, actually we have five different components of the human person that Jesus mentioned. The heart. Well, what is the heart? The soul, the mind, and our strength which we understand to represent our body. Our body is that which carries our physical strength. So there are four components of the person. But then when Jesus went on to say, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, that reminds us that having been created in God's image, we are social beings. We're not only individuals. We are indeed individuals, but we are individuals who are designed for community. God himself is a community of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are created in his image. We are created social beings. So if we talk about maturing toward wholeness, all of these different components of the person must come into wholeness. Our heart must come into wholeness. Our soul must come into wholeness. Our mind, our bodies, our social relationships must come into wholeness. So we're beginning now with chapter 13 to begin to explore together these various components of the human person to which Jesus refers in passages like Mark 12. And in this chapter, with all your heart, 
we've used as a subtitle the words from Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So each of these components that Jesus refers to, each of these components in me has been damaged by sin. The sin I have committed and the sin all around me in family and society. So by the time each of us comes to the point where we are aware that we have sinned or aware that there is such a thing as sin, we have already been damaged because we have been immersed in sin since our birth. So each component of me has been damaged by sin. Therefore, each component must be reformed. So the process of living with Jesus, the process of learning from him, the process of him bringing us into the presence of God, and the process of reformation that that results in must take place in each of these components of the person. In this and the next four chapters, I have been significantly influenced by Dallas Willard's book, Renovation of the Heart. Just let me say here that uh, what is written in the text, if you have the text available to you of these chapters, and what I'm going to say on these recordings is not quotations from the book. But I, I feel the appropriateness of saying that probably more than anything else other than the Bible in my own life experience in Christian ministry, uh, Dallas Willard's book, Renovation of the Heart, uh, has significantly influenced these chapters. What did Jesus mean by heart? Well, here is Willard's understanding. So this is a quotation from Renovation of the Heart, page 29. Now, when we set aside contemporary prejudices and carefully examine these two great sources, and what Willard is referring to when he talks about these two great sources, he's talking about the two great wisdom sources of antiquity, which are, on the one hand, the Judeo-Christian source, or the biblical source, and on the other hand, the classical philosophical source or the Greek source. So, back to the quotation, when we carefully examine these two great sources, well, it says, I believe it will become clear that heart or spirit or will or their equivalents are words that refer to one and the same thing, the same fundamental component of the person. So Willard is suggesting to us, based on a lifetime of study of the Judeo-Christian wisdom legacy and the classical philosophical legacy, that heart, spirit, and will refer all to the same thing. For our purposes in this study, we will concentrate our understanding on the heart as referring to the will. So when we use heart, we are thinking about will or choices or intention 
Uh, that word intention is a deeper thing than just a casual choice. I choose to pick up my pen and write. I choose the green pen rather than the red pen. That's kind of a superficial choice. It's still a choice. But intention is something deeper. So this is what we are working with in this study of the heart, my will, my intention, my choices. What can we say about that? Of all the components of my person, I have the most direct control of my will or my choices. I have more direct control of my will than I do of my soul, my mind, my body, or my social relations. It may seem that I have more control of my body. I mean, don't I have the most control, the most direct control of my body? But I don't control many bodily functions. Think of all the bodily functions that I don't control. Think of the early years of my life when I had very little control of my body. Think of the process of aging where I lose control of my body in some significant areas. And most of the bodily functions or movements that I do control require an act of my will first, or they require a choice. It may seem that I have more control of my mind, but thoughts and emotions regularly come which I did not choose or intend. I can choose what I intend, although I cannot always do what I intend. Now, let me pause a minute and um, encourage us to let that sink in a little bit, because that statement introduces us to a distinction that I think is going to be really important for us to make as we consider the heart or the will or choices. Let me say it again. I can choose what I intend, but I cannot always do what I intend. This introduces us to the difference between will and willpower. So there is a difference between my will or my ability to choose and willpower. What do we mean by that? Choosing what I intend to do or be is a function of my will. I can choose what I intend. I want to be a pilot. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a good person. I can choose that. I can choose that intention. But the ability to do what I intend, the ability to be a pilot, the ability to become a teacher, the ability to become a good person, is a function of the condition of my inner life. So this is the human dilemma displayed throughout history, displayed in every conceivable context of human living. I long to do what I am unable to do. Of course, the ability to do what I intend also often depends on external circumstances. Many external circumstances are beyond my control. So this is another reality that as we mature toward wholeness, we need to 
come into contact with and much human arrogance is rooted in this. I am going to decide that I'm going to do this or that or the other thing without recognizing that there's all kind of external circumstances over which I have no control that will affect whether I'm able to do what I intend. One example of this, I remember a number of years ago when we were on the ships and the price of oil, of course, was a very significant thing for us. And during the 1970s, there was an oil crisis and the price of oil went way up and it really affected us because we were constantly seeking for the money to buy the fuel. And subsequent to that, I remember reading a well-known economist that says, okay, now I've studied all the economic data in the world and I don't see anything that would produce inflation for the next 15 years. And I thought to myself, wow, what a statement that is. Here's a well-known economist, very intelligent, very educated, doesn't see any reason or anything that could cause inflation for the next 15 years. I can think of one thing, a war in the Middle East. So that's an example of a very educated, intelligent person using analysis, but not taking into consideration the very real fact that we don't control external circumstances. And at any, at any moment, external circumstances can drastically change for reasons completely beyond our control. Relying on willpower to become the way I intend often leads to defeat. Relying on Christ in everything results in becoming a new kind of person. Let me see if I can be really sure that this is clear to us. I'm aware that I have sinned. I'm aware that sinful behavior is deeply embedded within me. I want to change. I intend to change. I use willpower. It results in defeat. Where does my will come in? My will comes in in I make the choice to make Jesus the master teacher of my life. I make the choice to follow his teachings. I make the choice to allow him to reform me and as he heals me and transforms me, I become more and more the kind of person who is able to do what I intend. It doesn't happen by willpower. It happens by the Holy Spirit's power as I follow the teachings of Jesus. But to follow those teachings of Jesus, I must make the choice to do that. Following the teachings of Jesus gradually transforms my inner life. I don't do it. The Holy Spirit does it. But I must choose it. The ability to make my own choices lies at the core of my personhood, my individuality, my human dignity. It is an expression of the image of God in me. So, we are created in God's image. Where is the image of God in us? God is not physical. He doesn't have a body. We have a body. We're created in God's image. What is it about me that is most like God? What about me is that is the most like God is the freedom to make my own choices. 
God is free to make his own choices. He created me free to make my own choices. But I am not free to avoid the consequences of my own choices. So this is another really crucial understanding for us as we seek to continue to mature under the discipleship of Jesus. I can choose, but I cannot choose to avoid the consequences of my choices. The more I realize that, the more it makes me really careful in the choices that I make. My choices, more than anything else, are what is uniquely me. Think about that. What is really you? Is your body really you? Well, recently we have seen pictures of soldiers who have been in combat and they have been wounded in combat, even wounded to the point where they've lost limbs. So if I lose a hand or if I lose an arm, am I any less me? Well, of course, the answer is no, I'm not. What is it that's really me? What is really me more than anything else is the choices that I make, the choices of the heart. Decisions I am making day by day are forming the person I am becoming. The freedom to choose gives human beings the ability to create. Our creator created us creative, just like he is. So think of that. If I didn't have the freedom to choose, I wouldn't be able to create. But as I use the freedom my creator gave me to choose, I'm able to create. Nothing violates a person like attempts to take away the freedom to make his or her own choices. Observe the reactions of small children. You know, a small child. <laughs> How old does a child have to be before a child has a will of its own? When we try to remove the freedom that another person has, even a small child, to make their own decisions, a person is violated by that. God took a risk when he created us free. To do so is essential to his intention to create beings with capacity to share intimacy with him. So think about that. Love requires freedom to choose. Though expressed outwardly, the decision to love first forms inwardly. Love cannot be forced. The heart must choose it. Worship requires freedom to choose. Jesus said God is seeking worshipers. Worship cannot be forced. The heart must choose it. So here is God. God makes the decision in creation. I'm now going to create a being that has the capacity for intimacy with me, that has the capacity to love, that has capacity to worship. I'm going to create this being in my own image. And in order to do that, I'm going to give this being freedom the freedom to choose. I want their love. 
I want their worship. But in order to get authentic love and in order to get authentic worship, this being that I'm creating, the human being, must have the freedom to choose it. Let's pray together. Father, it is awesome to think that you created us like you with the freedom to choose, the freedom to create, the freedom to worship, the freedom to love. Father, we confess we have misused this freedom. We have used that freedom to go away from you, to rebel against you, to go our own way. And in doing that, the consequences that we created by our own choices have been devastating for us, for humanity, for the creation. Have mercy on us, Father. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for us. We love you. We come to you. We lift our sin to you. We lift our damage to you. Have mercy, Lord. Lord, forgive. Lord, cleanse. Lord, heal. Lord, transform. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.